my name is Reino, for those of you who might not know me, and uh, I have the privilege of preaching the word this morning. My hope is that we would be encouraged, that we would be edified, that we would be activated to respond with empathy in a time like this, and that we would be inspired. My hope for this morning is that we would see Jesus, and by seeing Jesus and beholding him, that we would have our minds blown, and that we would say yes to being exactly like him. Today is a loaded moment, right? Sonaba uh, embodied something of that when she prayed. I don't know if you know it, but today is actually called Mandela Day, right? It was first declared Mandela Day by the United Nations in 2009, and it's been celebrated since 2010. It is a day in which people say there's someone that we want to honor who made a difference in the history of our country. For 67 years, he struggled for the liberation and freedom of the country's people. And therefore, we also want to um, uh, honor him in doing something for someone today for 67 minutes. It was a whole vibe in the beginning of the 2010s. I'm not on social media at the moment, so I'm not quite sure how big the Mandela Day vibe is today, but it is a day in which our focus turns to marginalized people in need, helping them, interceding for them, and doing something meaningful for someone else. It's also a loaded moment because we live in this time of unrest that we just spoke about, prayed for, and uh, choose to share a couple of responses with you. We are still in a global pandemic that's been said today. We live in a time where it seems like Right? There's a lot of uh, political anger, Sonaba called it. Uh, my prayer for our politicians is always, will you please remember that you were voted into that position to serve the people? You were not voted into that position for power or for money, but to actually lay yourself down and to pour yourself out. We live in this really intense time at this moment. And I do believe that today is a really, really timely word for us, because I think today's scripture reading gives us an appropriate and a biblical response for a time like this. And I think this response, guys, well, no, not I think, I believe that this response is achievable for us, not out of our own power, but exactly by the Holy Spirit living in us. So like I just said, I really do hope that we will be edified and encouraged today. The whole reason for us doing this series is that we want to see a city changed. We spoke about that in the first two sermons. God sent us to a specific place with really good news. And the question is, if this city becomes like the church, if our city would become a fellowship city, what would it look like? We want to see people changed individuals we want to see relationships changed and healed we want to see people come to faith in jesus christ we want to see the transformation that the bible promises and even in this time we want explanation for what's happening and we want to see transformation that's what the gospel does the gospel tells us what is wrong with the world and the gospel tells us how the world ought to change and therefore i do believe that today's message is definitely an achievable a goal for us and a really good response to see our city become a fellowship city. I do want to say that today we'll talk about empathy and probably next week as Murundini will preach about nurturing people first. I think this will actually become like a mini series in the bigger series. Okay, so the Gospel of Mark. So now I just read from it. We are at the end of chapter one in the Gospel of Mark. So the chapter one of the Gospel of Mark sets up the story, right? Think about it as a movie trailer. A movie trailer is supposed to tell you that there's characters, 
there's conflict, there's a desired outcome, it's going to be turning points, there's going to be people for and people against, and then there's going to be this dramatic end. It doesn't show you everything, but it does show you enough to understand who is who and what is going on here. So Mark already did that in chapter one. Then we see, just after he sets the scene, he uh, tells about Jesus immediately, and urgently calling people into his ministry, okay? calling people into this mission that he says he is here for. And right after that, we see Jesus getting to work. We see Jesus working really long days. We see Jesus producing massive, massive results um, as he's working and as he's ministering. We see this fight that gets set up in chapter one, we see this starting to take place. These two kingdoms clashing, this message of repentance and faith that people will either accept, that they will doubt, or that they will reject. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal book, and it starts with quite some speed. Let me just show you this picture that I accidentally showed to you uh, prematurely. This is, I think, Kind of what the Gospel of, Mark's, uh, of Mark feels like in the beginning. It starts quite quick, flashes by quite quickly. So I just want to show you a couple of images to just to ground us in the story. Because the portion of scripture that's in Abare today is a very rich portion of scripture. And it might actually pass us by, I think, too quickly. Let me show you where all of this happened. Right. So this is the Sea of Galilee also called in some Gospels the Sea of Tiberias, or the, uh, the Galilean Sea, if you want to. That's Marie, my wife, uh, standing on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And then in the distance, you see the Golan Heights, which is the border between Israel, Jordan, and Syria. Now, this is quite a rocky edge of the Sea of Galilee. It doesn't look like this everywhere. We just happen to be at a place that is filled with rocks. But there are obviously parts of the sides of the Sea of Galilee that are nice and beachy or nice and sandy. This is a picture of an excavated Capernaum. Okay? So that's the village where Jesus lived during the three years of his public ministry. So small houses built with stone on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. If you look there in the photo, you'll see the water mass there. So it's right, right, right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. If you would walk in this direction, which is the southern direction, through this little excavated town, you would reach the beach, which is the side of the Sea of Galilee. This is a synagogue that was built in Capernaum later than the time that Jesus actually lived. And you'll see if you uh, kind of glance into the distance, the whole town was probably as big as two football fields and would probably have between 150 and 450 people if we would count them in a census. Now, I know that is a massive bracket, but because people walked in the first century and because hospitality was such a big value, it was actually quite difficult to determine like who stayed here because people would often sleep over at family or friends or they would be together and then the sun would set and they would go, ah, dude, I might just as well stay over. So that's why we draw such a big bracket when we look at uh, first century towns. But this is where it all took place. Everything we just read. 
Now, what we're going to do today is we're just going to look at one verse in this portion of scripture, and we are going to focus our attention on that verse, because that verse explains Jesus's response, and Jesus's response is something that we should nurture, and that is a response of empathy. So spoiler alert, that's where we are going to land. That's what I want you to have in focus when you look at this photo that's currently up on the screen. Jesus experiences empathy. He shows empathy. And therefore, we ought to nurture, nurture empathy as a church. Just going to stop sharing for now. And then I'll get back to the slide. So we see in verse 41, we see that it says Jesus moved with compassion, he reached out. Now, the verses prior to verse 41 is also very, very important. Okay, firstly, we see that Jesus spends time with the Father. Did you guys see in verse 35, early in the morning, he went out to be by himself. It's like charging your cell phone. Cable in, let's get to 100% before we start this day. All of us know who has mobile phones. The joy of starting the day with a filled battery and also the dread of starting the day with either a yellow low power mode or even a red battery is almost empty. Um, um, uh, caution or, or notification. We see that Jesus is gaining followers prior to verse 41. Why? Well, because he's Jesus, right? He shows grace, week one in our series. He is obviously Christ, right? So the Christ likeness that we spoke about last week is evident in Jesus' life. He um, embodies it. Mark even uses a word like everyone is looking for you in verse 37, right? So Jesus is gaining a lot of followers. We saw Jesus clearly stating his mission, which is very important. Like he knows exactly what he's supposed to do. He said that in verse 38, this is why I have come, right? Not mucking about, focused, getting to the job, doing what I'm supposed to do. And in all of this, right? So the small town and the surrounding villages and the Sea of Galilee, as quick as it's going, with this singular focus on what his mission is, he has this interaction. Now, what happens between Jesus and the man with leprosy is very important for us. And I would like to tell you why. Well, firstly, we revel or love the fact that we don't necessarily have to listen to people like we always do. Or we even love the fact that I could listen to you at a faster speed than you are actually speaking. Think about WhatsApp voice notes, guys. I don't know how many of you have updated your WhatsApp recently, but our beloved uh, instant messaging platform WhatsApp now has the function in which you can send me a voice note and I can forward you and listen to you at either one and a half speed or even twice as fast as you are actually speaking. Isn't that just comfortable and absolutely magnificent? I don't have to spend the time that you want me to spend um, uh, uh, on you. I can actually forward you and I can listen to you a little bit quicker than I want uh, or, or than you spoke to me, right? We have difficulty listening. We have difficulty pausing. We have difficulty stopping because the world is moving so fast. So later in the breakout rooms, you guys will discuss WhatsApp voice notes. And I do just want to give you a warning. This is not a debate session. So hashtag love, hashtag Christian church, right? 
hashtag meaningful and edifying conversations, right? So don't get into a debate, but I am going to ask you a question about WhatsApp voice notes. Secondly, let me invite you into my shoes, literally into my shoes. So this is a pair of shoes of mine. It's a freedom of movement feldschoon, or in short, it can be called the felly. Color is stone. Thank you so much to my two good mates, Lulo Modiba, Franco de Vette, and even my own wife, Marie, who said, I think you will look nice in a pair of fellies, right? So I've got a pair of these, really comfy. They are. I also do have a pair of these. This is called uh, the Nike Free Run, right? As soft as marshmallows. Look at these soles, really, really, really comfortable. Uh, used to be one of my pairs of running shoes in one of the comrades' races that I completed. I also do have the a pair of Toms, much like a slipper, okay? These were bought in 2009. The color is called olive and lime. The style is called the stitched vegan. I know that you're looking at these and wondering how on earth can Reina be wearing those for 12 years, but I actually have, I actually have. So these are some of the pairs of shoes that I have in my closet. Now, which one of these pairs do you think are the most comfortable? I don't know if it is, is or are, but let's go for R, which one is. Which one is more comfortable? What would you say? If you are a chat machine on Zoom, hit me with a chat real quick, just in the chat box. Fally, running shoe, or slipper? Let's have a few responses. Looking at the chat, staring intently. We've got a slipper going here. Thank you so much, Sanmarie. Uh, we've got running shoes from the Nefales. We've got running shoes from Sarah. We've got running shoes from Kone. Whoa, Tom's all the way from my own wife. Running shoes, slipper. Guys, the chat's lighting up. Thank you so much. The Feli. Thank you so much uh, from the Lehongs. Uh, the running shoes after 50 kilometers, the Nikes. Absolutely loving this. This has the potential to derail my sermon. So I'm just going to pause the uh, Frontiense's reply. Now, how did you decide which one of my shoes might be the most comfortable? Well, you worked from your perspective, right? So you assumed wearing your slippers is comfy, so mine should be. Or wearing your running shoes is comfortable, so mine should be. Or wearing your phallus is comfortable, so mine should also be. And that's fine for the purposes of the question that I asked you, right? Because I asked you to respond. But if you think about this in a deeper way, we often don't really put ourselves in someone else's shoes. We just assume why they do what they do and do what they say and feel what they feel because we might relate to it. Okay, so I have a reason why this is my most comfortable shoe, the Freedom of Movement Felly, but I'm not going to do a sales pitch now. Point is, by using this illustration, that if we want to get into someone else's shoes, we are going to have to park some of our assumptions and we are going to have to listen deeply. And because we find it so difficult to listen deeply, we often find it really difficult to show proper job empathy. Okay, so back to our portion of scripture. Uh, thank you also so much for everyone taking part in the chat. That was kind of fun, I have to say. So just look at this portion of scripture that I marked in red. Jesus stops, right? This man with leprosy came to him. He was on his knees and he was begging him. Jesus stopped. He didn't pass by. He listened 
because there's a request coming from this person. And that request is, will you please make me clean? I am begging you to help me. And then we see this beautiful reaction. Jesus is moved with compassion. And then we see Jesus reaching out and not doing what he thinks is best, doing what the person asked him for. Right? So listening deeply, understanding the need, and then say, saying, I am willing to do for you what you asked me to do. Be made clean. Isn't that just phenomenal? Right? It's really only two sentences, three if you want to, four I see in this translation. But it's so, so, so powerful. So let's park for a minute at this word, moved with compassion. The Greek word for moved with compassion or for compassion is splagnitsumai, right? It's quite a tongue twister now, isn't it? It describes the same experience we have when we have empathy towards someone uh, or when we feel empathy for someone, right? It means, if you would look it up in a dictionary, to be moved as to one's bowels, right? To feel your stomach and your intestines turning. Now, in the New Testament or in the time that the New Testament was written, your stomach was thought to be the seat of love and pity, right? When you really feel deeply, you feel in your stomach. We even have that today in English. I would say, when I saw that, I felt sick to my stomach. That is exactly what Jesus felt when he saw this person. From the uh, medical or human sciences perspective, let me just make a few remarks on sympathy and on empathy. So what's the difference between empathy and sympathy? Let's just get a, a grip on what's going on here. Well, basically it is emotion. So empathy means experiencing someone else's feelings, experiencing them. Sympathy, on the other hand, means understanding someone else's suffering, right? Understanding it up here. It's a cognitive understanding, but it does keep a certain distance between you and the other person. Like, I know what you mean, instead of, I feel you. So empathy is to feel what someone else feels and then to enter that experience. The ability to see the world through someone else's pain. Now, Jesus, our Messiah, our leader, our King, and the one who we center our lives around, he's the perfect embodiment of this, of showing empathy and experiencing empathy and viewing the world through the pain of others. Let me just show you this case in point. These are all the other places, apart from Mark 1, where this word is used in the Gospels, right? So three more times in Mark, you'll see them. Look at all those scripture references in Matthew. Look at all, uh, all three scripture references in Luke. And I marked one in red because that is where we find the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right? So then Splagnitsumai is not used as a reaction of Jesus, but in a parable that Jesus tells, he says this person who, at the end of the story, you see, did the right thing, was moved with compassion. Right? He felt his stomach turn when he saw the person that was robbed and lying in the middle of the road. And there's all the ways that it gets described. Twice as feel compassion, seven times as felt compassion, twice as moved with compassion, and once as take pity. It's just translated in the English translations like this. Now back to the medical sciences, we see um, 
we see that there are really three parts to empathy, right? And then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be done with the human sciences part is there's the thinking part, right? Imagining myself in that situation and what it would be like. There's the emotive part, right? Standing shoulder to shoulder with a other person and, and trying to feel with them. It's not above them. It's not apart from them, but it's together with them, right? You see the connection. And then there's also empathic action, right? Responding and doing something in this situation. Now, just get that word, empathic. So you have emphatic, you have empathetic, and then you have empathic. It's quite a tongue twister. That's a nice quiz for you for Sunday lunch. What's the difference between those three? I'm just joking. I'm just joking. So uh, before we go into a empathic response the feeling part and the thinking part is really important right there's a common saying that goes don't just stand there do something if we really want to feel empathy and we want to show it the way that jesus showed it we might actually say right and it will sound goofy don't just do something stand there right go through the thinking and the listening process first Go through the feeling and shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder process first because then you will reach a place where you can say, I'm willing, I understand, I see the world through your lens and I can actually offer you something that will be helpful and meaningful and might alleviate your pain. Brene Brown, she's a really um, well-known psychologist. I think you can call her a social psychologist, well-known speaker, author, lots of TED talks she's done. She says, really can a response make something better? What makes something better is connection. Really can a response make something better? What makes something better is connection. And do you guys see that in the story of Jesus, and even in the kind of the three phases of empathy I just described, there's a connection before the action. There's something happening in relationship. There's something deeply human happening between Jesus and this other human being. Well, let's think about this. Let's think about the week that passed. Think about all the interactions you had with people this week. Let's start small in your own family, your own spouse, your own kids. Let's think a little bit bigger, your church family, right? The people on screen we have here now. Let's think a little bit bigger, your colleagues. Let's think a little bit bigger. Somewhere you probably receive public services of some sort, someone behind a cashier or someone filling up your car with fuel or something like that. How did you show empathy in those spaces? Or where did you see the need to embody empathy and to nurture empathy in those connections? Could you do it? Did you know when to do it? Did you do it? What was the outcome, right? So let's think people, let's think relationships. Think of all the people you just saw this week and you didn't necessarily have interactions with. How many people did you pass by in traffic, right? I know you have to keep your eyes on the road, given, but how many people did you see in traffic? What did they experience? What did you see them doing? What did their faces tell you as you looked at them? Maybe people just walking past you, not necessarily driving past you. Did you notice them? And what did you notice if you did? Think of all the people you thought about this week, right? People that made it into your minds, people that made it into your hearts that you didn't necessarily see physically. 
Think about all the news you read. Think about all the television you watched this week. Think about seeing people looting shops. Think about seeing shop owners that were the victims of looting. Think about police officers you saw. Think about community policing forums, leaders you saw speaking about their communities, wanting to make a difference, responding to this crazy time we are in. Think about a teenager that you saw being sent to go and loot, really desperate. Think about mothers that had to, they say, do it because of desperation. Think of siblings losing one another in this chaos that we saw over the telly. What would it look like for us to have Christ-like empathy in all these situations for all these people? Stopping and allowing the Spirit to move us with compassion from the small, the people that you could literally reach out to now, to the big, the people you've never met, but people that you saw coming into your heart and into your mind this week. What would it look like if we responded like Jesus? What would it look like if we stopped and we listened and we were moved all the way to our stomachs and then we took action or we responded? We made a connection with a human being first before we decided to do anything. And I intentionally described the groups of people like I did now. Because they're all human beings, all created in the image of God, all able to make a connection with us, all in need of something. How do we respond in these situations? Now, I think there are a few common mistakes we can make when we want to show empathy towards someone. I'm not necessarily going to double click that now because I am conscious of our time. But I do want to encourage you in the breakouts when you speak about showing empathy, uh, if a thought comes to mind about a common mistake we often make when we show empathy to someone, please share it with us. Uh, you would have seen on our socials on a Wednesday, we put a quote and a photo of someone who said something in the breakouts. So something you might say today might make it to our social account. Hashtag shameless, shameless plug, just putting that out there. What I want you to see, and we'll land the plane here, is when Jesus is moved with compassion and he responds in the way he did, it says at the end of our scripture reading, he could no longer enter a town openly. That is how much traction he got in his ministry, just by doing this. Well, obviously, and proclaiming the word and healing people and describing the kingdom, sure. But this character that Jesus, sh that Jesus showed, this thing that Jesus did with another human being, really, really ramped up his ministry. Guys, can you imagine if people would stream to our church in this part of the city because we are a people who nurture empathy? Can you imagine if showing empathy to someone that we interact with, with someone in this area, changes their life in the way that this man who was a leper had his life changed? Can you just imagine the effect of showing empathy in a time of struggle and of division and of anger and of restlessness and of breaking down someone else's stuff? Can you imagine what effect empathy would have in relationships, on people and on our society? 
Let me land the plane by asking a question. Have you ever experienced Jesus having compassion for you? Because that's really the experience that we draw from when we show compassion to someone else. Think about it. You and I, this morning, in this service, who call ourselves Christians, who believe in Jesus Christ, we were the man with leprosy, begging on our knees to be saved. We became aware of our sin. We were convicted of our sin. We knew that we couldn't pay for it. We knew that we couldn't atone for it. We knew that we had nothing to offer. We knew that we needed grace and love and acceptance. And then we said, please, please, on our, on our knees, begging Jesus for mercy. And he gave it to us. He looked at us with empathy. And he said to each and every one of us, I am willing. I'm willing to forgive you, Reina. I'm willing to forgive you, blank, fill in the blank yourself. And it's from that experience that we show empathy to other people. How sweet was that feeling of salvation? How sweet was that feeling when you gazed upon Jesus on your knees and you got someone that stopped and that listened and that felt compassion on you and even gave his life for you so that you can be saved. And then receiving the salvation that he gave you. If we want to nurture empathy, as a church, as Fellowship City, it means that we should have a heart for wounded people. It means that we should do the same thing as Jesus did to us. Do the same thing as Jesus did to you. A Fellowship City nurtures empathy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for this portion of Scripture. We are thankful that you showed each and every one of us empathy. We are thankful that when you were a human, you were moved with compassion. You became sick to your stomach when you saw wounded and lost people. And that spurred you on to faithfully complete the mission that you were sent to do. Please do the same work in us. Please fill us with your spirit anew. Please spur us on to do what you've called us to do. Please move us when we see wounded and broken people around us, not only far, but also near and everywhere in between. May we become a church that nurtures empathy for the sake of your glory and your kingdom coming in this place, Lord Jesus. We pray that in your name. Amen.